0: Welcome. You're listening to Blood Advances Talks. Blood Advances Talks are scholarly review articles that are presented in an audio format and published in the American Society of Hematology's open access journal, Blood Advances. Transcripts for Blood Advances Talks undergo the same rigorous peer review process, as all articles published in Blood Advances and can be downloaded by visiting bloodadvances.org. We thank you for listening.
1: My name is Mark Levis from the Department of Oncology at the Sidney Kimmel Comprehensive Cancer Center at Johns Hopkins. The title of my talk today is The Current Therapeutic Landscape of FLT3 Inhibitors. I have the following relevant conflicts of interest to declare. I've received research funding from Novartis and Astellis, and I serve on advisory committees for Novartis, Astellis, Daiichi Sankyo, and Aroge. In this Blood Advances talk, I discuss the current therapeutic landscape of FLT3 inhibitors. We now have a new drug, Midostaurin, that is now part of the standard of care for patients with FLT3 mutant AML. However, the field is clearly on the move, as there are more than half a dozen randomized trials of flip 3 inhibitors accruing right now, and off-label use of seraphina remains an option for some practitioners as well. These different inhibitors all have strengths and weaknesses and are being studied in almost every aspect of the disease, from diagnosis to relapse to maintenance, and in both fit and unfit patients. Therefore, while it is an exciting time for our field, there remain many uncertainties about how things will unfold going forward. I hope to offer some clarification on these issues in this talk. Since we're talking about FLT3 inhibitors, we should start with some background about FLT3. As anyone who treats AML knows, FLT3 is a receptor tyrosine kinase that is frequently mutated in AML. What many people don't know, however, is that one of the normal functions of wild-type FLT3 is to drive the proliferation of hematopoietic multipotent progenitor cells. Given that it's a driver of proliferation in primitive hematopoietic cells, it's not surprising that dysregulated signaling from this receptor can have such a profound effect on the phenotype of AML. In fact, FLT3, either mutated or wild-type, is expressed on the blasts in the large majority of AML cases, and this raises the possibility that inhibiting FLT3 might offer benefit to more than just those cases with flt 3 activating mutations. But more on that a bit later. There are two types of FLT3-activating mutations. The most common one, a FLT3-ITD mutation, is an in-frame insertion of duplicated coding sequence in the juxtamembrane domain of FLT3 and is associated with poor prognosis. The length of the duplicated sequence varies from patient to patient, as does the amount of mutant alleles present within the patient's leukemia cells, this fraction of cells harboring the mutation is often referred to as the allelic ratio and is of interest because we've known for a while now that higher FLT3 mutant allelic ratios are associated with an even worse prognosis. The variable length of FLT3 ITD mutations has made it technically challenging to develop a standardized assay to quantitate just what fraction of the cells in a given case of AML harbor the mutation. On the other hand, the unique length of a patient's particular FLT3 ITD mutation can act as a very specific signature of their disease. For example, if you can detect a 21-base pair FLT3 ITD mutation in a patient's remission marrow, and it's the exact same one they had at diagnosis, you know it's their disease. The other main category of FLT3 mutations are the kinase domain mutations, referred to as FLT3 TKD mutations. These are less common ITD mutations, and when present at diagnosis, have less of a prognostic impact compared to the FLT3 ITD mutations. However, they also can emerge during treatment with some FLT3 inhibitors, and as such, can represent a mechanism of resistance, because some of the more selective FLT3 inhibitors don't inhibit them. FLT3 mutations likely develop late in leukemogenesis and are scattered across all different subtypes of AML. Furthermore, they are occasionally lost, or at least not detectable, at relapse. This has made it understandably difficult for organizations like the WHO to classify FLT3-mutated AML and for guideline panels to make treatment recommendations. In general, I think the data favors consolidating the FLT3-IDD patients with allogeneic transplant when possible. However, as the FLT3 inhibitors are now entering the clinic, our approach to these patients is likely to evolve over the next several years. There are several FLT3 inhibitors to talk about, but we should start with midostaurin. The results of CALGB10603, also known as the RATIFY trial, led by Dr. Richard Stone and colleagues, demonstrated that the addition of midostaurin to induction and consolidation chemotherapy improves the overall survival of patients with newly diagnosed FLT3-mutated AML. These results led to the recent approval of Mitostorin in the U.S. and will likely lead to the drug's approval in several other countries in the near future. Mitostorin could be regarded as the grandfather of FLT3 inhibitors because its development as an anti-cancer drug started decades ago. It inhibits many kinases, only one of which happens to be FLT3, and its ability to improve the survival of all subtypes of FLT3-mutated AML patients suggests that at least part of its efficacy may be related to its multi-targeted nature. That, in turn, has spurred interest in studying this drug in non-FLT3-mutated AML. Regardless of how it works, the approval of Mitostorin has changed the standard of care for FLT3-mutated AML. It is now incumbent on every practitioner to determine a patient's FLT3 mutation status within a week of the initial diagnosis. There is a companion diagnostic test available from InVivoScribe Technologies called the Leucostrat assay, which uses PCR to test for both the FLT3 ITD and FLT3 TKD mutations. It has a rapid turnaround time to get the practitioner the information in time to start midostaurin by day eight. Of course, many institutions have a similar in-house test available, which is probably fine as long as the turnaround time is quick. It's important to remember that you don't need to know the allelic ratio or any details about the specific sequence change. A positive mutation test means the patient should be treated with mitostorin. For any patient with newly diagnosed FLT3-mutated AML, mitostorin should be given on days eight to 21 of a conventional seven plus three induction regimen. And for patients who achieve remission on days eight to 21 of high dose cytarabine consolidation. This will change how practitioners approach these patients. Up until now, we've been sending off the diagnostic bone marrow sample for cytogenetic and molecular analysis and proceeding with induction. When the genetic data returned after two to three weeks, we used it to decide if the patient should have an allogeneic transplant while this is a big change, it really isn't any different than when BCR-ABL inhibitors were introduced into the management of Philadelphia chromosome-positive acute lymphocytic leukemia. And so I think everyone will quickly adapt as they did then and should now. I don't think that the use of midostaurin should change the emphasis on allogeneic transplant. In the ratified trial, the group of patients with the best overall survival were those that had received midostaurin and then underwent a transplant in first remission. From the looks of the current landscape, Mitostorin is likely to represent only the first of major changes in how we approach FLT3-mutated AML. There are now more than a dozen large randomized, i.e. registration trials, of different tyrosine kinase inhibitors actively accruing FLT3-mutated AML patients. What's particularly interesting is that each of these trials is taking a slightly different approach or targeting a different phase of the disease. And each of the three drugs being studied in these trials, quizartinib, gilteritinib, and crinolinib have very different properties. I think these trials are going to go a long way toward answering the major therapeutic questions in this area, whether to use a more potent selective inhibitor or a more multi-targeted one, and when exactly the drugs should be incorporated into treatment. For a newly diagnosed patient, should they be given with induction and consolidation, pre- or post-transplant, or as maintenance therapy? In the relapse setting, should they be used as monotherapy or in combination with chemotherapy? Which drugs have activity in FLT3 TKD-mutated AML? Now, I'd like to briefly go over which trials are addressing which questions, starting with Quisartinib. Quizartinib is an extremely potent, selective FLT3 inhibitor, but has almost no activity against the FLT3 TKD mutations, and so is quite different from midostaurin in this regard. It's being studied in relapsed FLT3-ITD-AML as monotherapy versus conventional salvage chemotherapy in the Quantum R study, which has nearly finished accrual. Quisartanib is also being studied in newly diagnosed FLT3-ITD-AML patients in a randomized trial that resembles the RatiFY study in that patients are randomized to receive chemotherapy plus Quisartanib or placebo. Even though mitostorin is now approved in the U.S. for this indication, Quantum First is enrolling throughout the world in countries where midostaurin isn't available, and so I suspect it will accrue successfully. This will address the important issue of the value of highly selective FLT3 inhibition in newly diagnosed patients. The value of maintenance with a FLT3 inhibitor is another important issue. If a patient with FLT3-mutated AML achieves a remission and completes consolidation with chemotherapy or an allogeneic transplant, should they be maintained on a flit3 inhibitor and if so for how long? And can we use the presence or absence of minimal residual disease to guide us on the necessity or length of maintenance? Two important randomized trials using gilteritinib are addressing these questions. Gilteritinib is one of the newer flit3 inhibitors with activity against both ITD and TKD mutations. The first phase 3 gilteritinib trial is being headed up by the BMTCTN the U.S. Cooperative Group devoted to clinical studies on transplantation. In BMTCTN 1506, also known as the Morpho trial, patients with FLT3-ITD AML who have undergone allogeneic transplant will be randomized to receive gilteritinib or placebo for a two-year period. An important additional correlate of this study will be an assay for minimal residual disease in all patients roughly every three months in order to answer the question of whether or not we can pick out which patients should receive maintenance, provided, of course, that maintenance is effective in anyone. In a parallel study known as Gossamer, maintenance with giltritinib is being tested versus placebo for patients consolidated with chemotherapy only, which is another way of answering the maintenance question, but could also open up the possibility that transplant may not be necessary if we have an effective FLT3 inhibitor. For relapsed or refractory patients, both quizartinib and gilteritinib are going up as monotherapy against salvage chemotherapy. However, for crinolinib, investigators are taking a different tack. Crinolinib is another compound with activity against both FLT3-ITD and FLT3-TKD mutations. In a trial headed up by the AML study group in southern Germany, relapsed patients will receive salvage chemotherapy plus crinolinib versus chemotherapy plus placebo. Crinolinib is the FLT3 inhibitor we have the least data on in terms of numbers of patients treated, but it has activity as monotherapy against relapse disease and is active against the FLT3 TKD mutations. So this trial represents a fascinating contrast to the monotherapy trials. Finally, for patients who are ineligible for intensive therapy due to age or medical comorbidities, combinations of FLT3 inhibitors and hypomethylating agents have been studied and appear to offer the potential for benefit. Midostaurin, serafinib, and quisartinib have all been tested in single-arm trials in this fashion, and there is now a Phase 3 study of azacitidine plus gilteritinib versus placebo for newly diagnosed older patients with flt 3 mutant AML currently accruing. I would be remiss if I didn't at least mention serafinib. Serafinib is a multi-targeted kinase inhibitor approved for use in kidney, liver, and thyroid cancer. It has activity against FLT3-ITD mutant receptors and is widely used around the world off-label in FLT3-ITD-mutated AML. It has been a very useful drug for many of us who manage the disease, and the clinical trials that have examined the role of seraphinum in various stages of disease setting for AML have paved the way for a number of the trials of the other FLT3 inhibitors I've been talking about. However, there is no approval or registration strategy for seraphinum that I'm aware of and it has some drawbacks in comparison to the other inhibitors. Namely, it's a bit less potent, and there are tolerability problems. Uh, So while we've been glad to have this drug available, even for off-label use, I suspect its role in AML is going to diminish in the near future. So to wrap up this Blood Advances talk, the therapeutic landscape of FLIT3 inhibitors is changing, and our approach to FLIT3-mutated AML is changing, and for the better. There's clearly a reason for a lot of optimism here. We have one new drug approved, and I think more new agents will be arriving soon enough. The different inhibitors will have different strengths and weaknesses, and so we will have a lot of work to do to determine the best way to incorporate each of them into the different phases of treatment.
0: You've been listening to Blood Advances Talks. Please visit bloodadvances.org for more audio reviews and for information on how to subscribe to the Blood Advances Talks podcast. A full transcript of this podcast can be found online. Music for Blood Advances Talks is performed by the Art Tipolo Trio and provided by Dr. Art Tipolo. This presentation is copyrighted by the American Society of Hematology. We thank you for listening.